0: Okay, so Easter is a really big deal, you know, especially in and around like, the Christian world or the church world. Like, we, we plan for Easter. We, you know, we, we, we know that more, more than likely like, more people are going to watch this video than other videos that we put out. We know that when it comes to our on-site gatherings, there are going to be more people here on Easter Sunday than on other Sundays. People are going to be bringing friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers and members of the community are going to show up. We know that our regular church people are going to show up. We know our really sporadic church attenders are most likely to show up on Easter to, to talk about, to hear about, and to celebrate this guy named Jesus. But have you ever stopped to wonder why that is? Like, what's the big deal with Jesus, and why do Christians get so jacked up about this thing called Easter? I mean, think about this for a second. You may not know this, but there are about 2.3 billion, with a B, billion Christians on the planet today. That is roughly one-third of the world's population. One-third of the world's population uh, claims some sort of faith or belief uh, in this guy named Jesus. And so uh, maybe like right now, right this moment as you're watching this, or sometime throughout today, that there will be billions, or at the very least, hundreds of millions of people who are remembering and celebrating and worshiping this guy named Jesus celebrating and worshiping this guy who was a Galilean day laborer who lived 2,000 years ago. And in the grand scheme of things, just looking from the outside, looking in, would not seem to have left, or he shouldn't have left as big of an impact as he did. I mean, he was from a rather insignificant place on the planet. He never fought a war. He never led an army. He never led a rebellion. He never held any kind of uh, political office, never had a position of power. He wasn't wealthy. Uh, He he never, like, wrote any kind of manifesto down. He was on the scene for about three years, and then he was gone. Like, how did we get here? How is it that for 2,000 years people are still celebrating this guy and worshiping this guy? How is it that Jesus of Nazareth is the most influential person in human history, and it's not even close, and no one debates that statement, that he is without a doubt the most influential person in history. I can tell you what it's not. It's not, uh, it's not his teachings. It's not his miracles. It's not the example that he set. Those things are all great, and they're cool, and we talk about those things, but that's not what makes Jesus so significant. The reason that we are here and there are billions of people gathering around this this person today, the reason that is happening is because something happened in history. Something happened. See, at its core, Christianity, the Christian faith, is not about a state of, a statement of ideas or a set of, of beliefs. It's not about a philosophy. It's not, it's not about, about theology. I mean, those things are all important and those things are fun to talk about. But at the end of the day, the, the center of the Christian faith is about an event. It's about something that happened in history. It is the thing that we celebrate at Easter. It is the death of Jesus, yes, but more importantly and more significantly and more specifically, It's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that he came back from the dead, that there was an empty tomb. The whole thing rises and falls on that idea. In fact, uh, there's this guy named the Apostle Paul. Um, Everyone agrees, the Apostle Paul was an actual figure in history that lived in the first century. Um, He he writes, uh, he starts a bunch of little gatherings, little churches, little Jesus movements, and he writes letters to them, and he writes one letter, um to followers of Jesus living in the Roman city of Corinth in the first century. And this, this letter is dated to about 53, the mid-50s, A.D., so like 20 years after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. And within that, that letter that dates to only 20 years after the events, Paul actually includes this statement, this quote, he references this thing, it's called a, it's called a creed. Uh, it was it was something that early believers would use to communicate and to remember and to pass on the things that were true about their faith. And historians date this creed that Paul references to between like thirty and thirty-five A.D. In other words, in in the like practically, instantly, after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, within the days, weeks, and months following it, the followers of Jesus were declaring this message. And Paul records it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I passed on to you what I received as what the most important thing. I gave it to you. So Paul's like, hey, pay attention. This is the most important thing. This is what the entire faith is built on. And he says, here's what it is, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared. The message from the earliest followers of Jesus, the the proclamation of what the Christian faith is all about, of of what we celebrate, of why uh, this thing is going forward and why for 2,000 years it has changed the world isn't because of some beliefs but because something happened. As Paul would say, it is Jesus crucified, buried, raised, and seen that Jesus died for the sins of the world for your sins and my sins the sin of every single human being every wrong ever committed that ever will be committed he, he out of out of this act of love and mercy he paid the price for those things but more than just dying he rose from the dead and was seen paul actually goes on to say that that, that he goes on listing all the appearances of Jesus. And he's like, there are hundreds of people. Again, he's writing this about 20 years after it happened. He says, there are hundreds of people who saw him alive. And you can go talk to them if you want to. You can fact check me if you want to. He goes on in that same passage then to just drill down and get to the heart of the issue. And he says this, that if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection hasn't happened, then your faith is worthless. And you're still in your sins. He says, like, if, if, if Jesus hasn't actually, physically, literally risen from the dead, this isn't a figure of speech, it's not a metaphor, it's not, well, he rose from the dead in my heart, whatever that means. Like, he's like, no, 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 like, Jesus actually rose from the dead, and if that didn't happen, your faith is worthless. <laughs> that, that, like, you can take the teachings of Jesus, and the examples of Jesus, and the miracles of Jesus, and the crucifixion of Jesus, and you can all toss it out the window, none of it matters if Jesus is still dead. It's all about this thing that happens. See, the resurrection, it is the single event that Christianity hangs on. It is the single event that changes everything. It is the event, it is the point in history that from that point forward, nothing was ever the same. The the resurrection properly and, and necessarily shifts the foundation of the Christian faith away from something that we just hope for, and it puts the foundation of the Christian faith on something that happened. Over our remaining few minutes together, I want to look at that journey that a couple of Jesus' first century disciples went on. This journey of, you know, we had hoped something, our hopes were just completely crushed, we we think we're wrong, like let's pack it up and go home to our lives have been changed. We're going to be looking in Luke's Gospel. So we got four accounts that, that, that talk about the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Luke brings us some of the most detailed accounts of the resurrection. It's actually very characteristic of the way that Luke writes. Uh, so Luke, um, he, he writes as, as a very much like a credentialed historian. Uh, and so he, he talks to the eyewitnesses, he gathers together the facts, he puts together an orderly uh, report of, of his investigation, and he tediously, Luke fills his Gospel with, names and dates and places and events and things that have happened, many of which uh, have been historically verified, and and Luke, I mean, honestly, like scholars say, Luke is a very, very reliable reporter of history, and so at the end of Luke's gospel, he records what happened as it relates to uh, the death, but specifically the resurrection of Jesus, and he records what happens that first Sunday after Jesus' crucifixion. It's found in Luke chapter 24, and so as we pick up the scene, so Jesus has been crucified on Friday. It's now early Sunday morning. The first thing that we read is there's some women that, that they go to the tomb of Jesus, and they want to pay their respects, and they want to mourn, and they want to, uh, they, they want to properly bury him and re-prepare his body because it had been prepared kind of hurriedly on Friday night as the sun was setting and Sabbath was about to begin. And so these women go to the tomb thinking, hey, we're going we're gonna to give him a proper burial, burial and we're going to pay our respects. And they, they show up to prepare the body, and they find that there's no body. And these women, they see these angels who say, hey, Jesus, he's not here. He's alive. And and so the women, they they hurry off and and they tell the other disciples, like, hey, the Lord is risen. We saw these angels and this is what's happened. But the disciples, they, they don't believe the women right away. And there's a couple of reasons why they don't. Number one is, is that like, this is an extreme and it's a crazy claim to make that someone is back from the dead. People that lived 2,000 years ago thought the same way about people who died as we think. Hey, if, people who die tend to stay dead. And so they're like, what are you talking about? We saw him crucified. And they also don't believe the women because there, there is this uh, portrayal of women and this idea of the testimony of women that is not reliable in the first century. Women were not seen in first century culture as reliable witnesses. They were not a reliable witness that could, could testify uh, in like a court of law. And so the disciples hear this report and like, whatever, you, you're crazy. We, we don't believe it. But two of them go and, and check it out for themselves. and We discover in John's gospel that it's Peter and John. And they go and they see the empty tomb, but they don't see any angels, they don't see a body, they don't see anything, and they're left to just kind of wonder what's happening. And so all this starts happening early Sunday morning, and so you can imagine as Sunday goes along, uh, things, rumors start to swirl. People start to talk. The whispers begin. Some people say, hey, I think he might be alive. So-and-so said they, they heard it. So-and-so said they saw him. And other people are saying, no, you're crazy. That's ridiculous. Dead people stay dead. Other people are saying, well, I heard the body's gone, but it's just because somebody stole it. And so, so the rumors are swirling and the tension is building. And then there's these two other guys that we meet. The, the Luke kind of cuts the scene away from the women and the disciples to two guys on the road to a little town called Emmaus. They're heading home from the city of Jerusalem. We, we discover that they're disciples of Jesus. They're, they're, un, uh, they're really unimportant. We don't really know much about them. Um, only one of them is named. His name's Cleopas. The other one, we don't know what his name is. But they're leaving the city of Jerusalem, and they're on their way to this town of Emmaus, where most likely they were from. Because after the events of the week, they'd gone through Passover with Jesus. The week started on such a high, and now they just watched their teacher and their friend and their rabbi and their master. And the one that they had put all their hopes in, they had just watched him be crucified. So they packed it up, they're going home, they're trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces. And while they're on that journey, Jesus walks up along beside them on this road, and they don't recognize him. And so he begins talking to them, and he asks, hey, what are you guys talking about? Because they're having a little conversation before he gets there. Like, well, what's going on? What are you talking about? What are you discussing? And that's where we jump in, and here's how they respond to Jesus. And they asked, What is it you're discuss- When Jesus asked, What is it you're discussing? The one named Cleopas answered him and said, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened in these days? Like, seriously, have you been living under a rock? Is basically what he's asking. Because the entire city was abuzz about what had happened to Jesus of Nazareth. The city would have been packed for people there celebrating the Passover. These were public events that took place. This was a public crucifixion that took place. And the rumblings are beginning that maybe he's alive. Maybe somebody took the body. And every, this, is, this was not a private thing. This was not a secretive thing. Everybody knows this. And so Cleopas and the other disciple are here just in disbelief at this stranger's question. Like, are you serious? Are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened? And so Jesus kind of uh, eggs them on a little bit more and, and kind of plays, you know, kind of plays innocent and says, well, what things? What things, what things happened? Enlighten me. Tell, me. tell me how you see these things playing out. Tell me what you saw. Tell me what you experienced. And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet well, he was a prophet, why? Because he was powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. Now, now I kind of tucked that away, that they're, they're calling him a prophet because that's going to be significant here in a minute. There's like, well, there's, there was something that was undeniable about him in the way that he taught and the things that he did, because he taught in a way that was different from everyone else, and, and he, he did things that would, would only be possible if God was with someone. So the least that we can say is, well, he was some sort of prophet, he was some sort of, of, of teacher, of miracle worker, someone sent from God. He was a prophet. But that's not all that they say about the things that have happened. Here's what else has happened that our our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we, well, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Notice what they say. They say we were hoping. Past tense. We had some hopes in this guy. That he was more than a prophet. We had hoped that he was our Messiah. We had hoped that he was our Redeemer, but we no longer have those hopes. Why? Because he was crucified and he died. We need to understand that when it comes to crucifixion, crucifixion was, was not just a, a way to kill someone. It was not an efficient way to kill someone. It was meant to draw the process out for a long time. It was meant to inflict as much uh, physical pain, but also kind of psychological and mental and emotional pain as uh, as a crucifixion victim would be hanging there naked and bleeding in the public eye for people to walk past and to spit on and to laugh at uh, and, and, and to scorn and to, to hurl insults at. Like, crucifixion wasn't just uh, a way to kill someone, but it was also seen as just an extreme, uh, it was, it was it was shameful, right? It was um, it, it was someone who was crucified was seen as like cursed. They are the worst of the worst, and so there's no way that he could have been our Messiah. There's no way he could have been our Redeemer because he was crucified like a common criminal. And not only was he crucified like a common criminal, the thing that follows a crucifixion is the person who's crucified died. So he's crucified like a criminal, and he dies just like everyone. Else, we were hoping that he was the Messiah. We were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. The, the way that this is talked about in the wording that's used is they're drawing on themes of the Exodus from the Old Testament. The, the idea that when God redeemed Israel out of, out of Egypt and he set them up on the world stage as this great, powerful nation. And they're like, well, we were hoping he'd do a new Exodus thing. We were hoping that God would redeem us again. And he would, you know, as in the past when he redeemed us and brought us out of slavery in Egypt, that now he would redeem us and bring us out of the the Roman subjugation and oppression that we were under. And we would be established as a great nation once again. We were hoping for all of these things. But he was crucified like a criminal and he died like anyone else. So maybe he was a prophet. But the Messiah? No. The Son of God? no we were hoping but clearly we were wrong and they said besides all this it's been three days since these things have happened and we don't even know what to think moreover as in like if that wasn't enough some of the women from our group astounded us they arrived early at the tomb and when they didn't find his body they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive some of those who were with us they went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said but they they didn't see him and so our women came with this crazy report, and, man, and some of the guys in our group, they were gullible enough to believe it. Some of them got their hopes up. Some of them bought into the fairy tale of him being alive, but not us. We wouldn't let ourselves go there. One author said this, that in their account of the death of Jesus, these disciples named Jesus. They call him a prophet whose works were powerful, but they failed to recognize him as the Messiah. Indeed, that had been their hope prior to his crucifixion, but no longer. They stressed that three days had gone by since it all happened. They were aware of the words of the women, but they discounted them. They knew that some had found the tomb empty, but they had reported that they had not located the body. In other words, here was a dispirited pair of disciples giving up, going home. It was all over for them. And so as these disciples process, what happened, as they relay these words to this stranger who turns out to be Jesus. It's as if they're saying, listen, we wasted three years of our lives following after this wannabe Messiah. We're not going to waste another second chasing after ghosts. It's done. It's over. We're going home. There is nothing to hope in. There is no movement to begin. There is no faith to carry on because our leader is dead. Now Jesus begins to speak. And he begins to take what they think they know and flip it on its head. He says this, he says, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, beginning With Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And so Jesus begins to kind of systematically go through what what, what Luke says is um, that Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets, it's what we would call like the entire Old Testament. It was the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish Bible. These men are, are Jewish guys. They are disciples of Jesus. And so Jesus starts going through all of their scriptures and, and pointing to them that this was always something that was going to happen. That this wasn't an accident. This was necessary. That the death and resurrection of Jesus wasn't just an accident, wasn't just a whoops. like That his, his crucifixion wasn't something that people just did to him. It was something that he allowed, more than allowed, he had planned That his self-sacrificing love for you and me was part of the plan from the beginning of time. He says this was necessary. This was part of the plan that all of the scriptures have been pointing to me. The account continues and says they, they came to a village where they were, the village where they were going and he gave the impression, that is Jesus gave the impression that he was going on farther but they urged him, stay with us, because, you know, it's almost evening, and the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them, right? It's getting dark, it's like, hey, you know, come stay with us, get some rest, and you can, you, know, you can leave tomorrow. It was as he then reclined at the table with them, they're hungry, they're getting ready to eat, that he took bread. He blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And then, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. He disappeared from their sight. And they said... Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So Jesus is there and they're eating dinner together, and for a moment they recognize him and they see him, and it's like the light bulb goes off and then he's gone. And they look at one another and they go, oh my gosh, they, they, they say this, this interesting thing. Weren't our hearts burning within us? Wasn't, in other words, wasn't there, wasn't there something to his story? Wasn't there something to what he was saying? Wasn't there something inside of us that, that just like that said, man, this makes sense and I want to believe this? There was something in us that said we want to believe that. We want that to be true, but we just can't let ourselves. But that all changed when they recognized him. That all changed when they saw him alive. We go on to read that, that, that like, as soon as this statement happens, they get up and they immediately, they leave. They go back to Jerusalem. They make the seven-mile trek back from the direction that they just came to find the other disciples who were still in the city and to proclaim to them, it's true. It's true. The reports are true. The rumors are true. He is alive and we've seen him. We believe it now, not because you told us, but because we've seen it for ourselves. For these two disciples, the resurrection went from fantasy to fact. It went from rumor to reality. It went from something that they, they had hoped for to something that had happened. And while they're there explaining to this group of, of disciples, this larger group of disciples, what had happened, Jesus shows up in their midst, and then he proceeds to tell the larger group basically the same thing that he just told the two on the road. He says, you know, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You guys, it was was always about this. It was always about my death and resurrection. This was always the plan and then as he kind of lands the plane on this conversation with them he brings us back to the center into why uh, why we're here and to why Christianity matters and to why this is good news and to why the early church proclaimed this message this is this is so beautiful he says listen for he, he, this is what was written that the messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem and you you are witnesses of these things it says you guys listen listen you had hoped that I was going to restore Israel but what has happened is I've actually done something for everyone for all nations you, you you were hoping that I would win and secure some sort of geopolitical victory but what has happened is I have won a victory over sin and over death itself and you you are witnesses of these things. You will proclaim and you will testify. You are going to tell other people not what you believe, not what, just what you hope for, but you are going to proclaim and testify what you have seen. You will testify to what has happened because you are witnesses of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Man, Jesus gives this, this, this picture that ends up being the very same thing that the Apostle Paul quoted that we looked at at the beginning of this message. That what does it all boil down to? It boils down to something that happened that Jesus crucified, buried, risen, and seen. And here Jesus is saying that the Messiah will suffer and will rise and you are witnesses, crucified, risen, and seen. This is the center of the center of the Christian faith. This is the thing that we believe. This is what we hold on to, and we hold on to this, and we believe this, not because it's in a religious text, and not because we take it on blind faith, but because something happened in history, and the world has not been the same since it happened. But because something happened in history, and the eyewitnesses documented it. You see, we, we believe it because people like Luke... People like Luke come along, and Luke says, I've, I've thoroughly investigated everything, and I've put together an orderly account. And in his, in his account, he declares that Jesus Christ has been crucified and risen. We believe it because people like Matthew, who was one of Jesus' original 12 followers, who was an eyewitness to all of them, all of the things that Jesus did. Tell us about the crucifixion and the resurrection. We believe it because Peter, who got, or excuse me, Mark, who got his information from Peter, talks about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. We believe it because John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, that John was an eyewitness. John was so close to Jesus that he was entrusted to take care of Mary, Jesus' mother in her old age, that John writes about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. We believe it because the apostle Paul comes along and he steps onto history as someone who hates Christians, who hates the church who wants to wipe every Christian off the face of the planet. And then he has this encounter with Jesus, and it changes him so radically that he becomes the biggest supporter and proponent of Christianity that the world has ever seen. The Apostle Paul comes along and within 20 years of the resurrection is quoting something that that existed within months of the resurrection that jesus christ crucified buried risen seen crucified buried risen seen crucified buried risen seen that is why we are here today that is the reasons that is the reason why billions of people follow jesus It isn't because of his teachings, it isn't because of his miracles, it isn't because of the example that he set, it isn't even because of the crucifixion, it is because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrection anchors the Christian faith not to something that I just hope is true, but it anchors the Christian faith to something that has happened in history, to something that is absolutely unshakable. And that reality that Jesus is alive, it changed the lives of two random guys on a dirt road to a place called Emmaus 2,000 years ago, and it is still changing lives today. Because if the resurrection is true, if it happened, if Jesus is alive, then that means that everything that Jesus said, everything he did, everything he taught, everything he modeled, it is true as well. Because if Jesus is alive, then he really is who he claimed to be. He really is the son of God. So we can trust and believe that what, what he said and what he taught and what he modeled about love and about justice and about mercy and about righteousness and forgiveness and grace and, and generosity. We can trust and, and believe uh, that, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is who he claimed to be. Then you can trust and believe that what he says about you and me and every single human being is true the people are created in the image of God, that they are worthy of love and respect. They are someone that he died for, that he loves, that you have intrinsic value and worth and dignity that cannot be taken away from you. That Jesus is alive, that means his death on the cross actually accomplished something because it means he is God, that he was the perfect, sinless son of God who is able to take on my sin and your sin, the sin of the entire world. Every wrong thing that you have ever done, every wrong thing that has ever been done to you, and all the shame and all the guilt and the condemnation that comes along with that, he is able to lift that off of you and say, you do not have to carry that anymore. I will lift that off of you, and in its place, I will grant you forgiveness, and I will grant you forgiveness freedom if jesus is alive understand what that means is that, that no matter what happens these events can't be changed that even when maybe your your faith is weak that doesn't change what happened even when you still have questions or doubts it doesn't change what happened whenever you maybe there's times whether you feel like god is close and you you feel his presence and other times when you feel like he's far away it doesn't change what happened when things are going great in life and when life is falling apart, it doesn't change what happened. That He loves you. He died for you. He made a way for you to know him and he is alive. If the resurrection is true, if Jesus has been raised, then death has been defeated the most primal, basic fear of every human being, this fear of death, this the staring of our own mortality in the face, the thing that is waiting for all of us. If Jesus is alive, that means the power of death has been broken, it has been defeated. If he has been raised, then the promise is we will be raised as well. C.S. Lewis put it so well in his book, Miracles, when he said this. He says, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind, in the history, the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits. He is the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. And everything is different because he has done so. Everything is different because he has done so. Everything is different for you, is different for me, is different for every single human being on the face of the planet. That the death and the resurrection of Jesus, what we come together to celebrate at Easter, has implications for everyone. Because if it is true, you can't do nothing with it. If Jesus really is alive, there are only one of two options. Option one is you say, I don't believe it and it has no effect and no impact on me. Option number two is I say, I believe this. I believe that Jesus really is the Son of God who died for my sins and your sins and the sin of the world. I I believe that he is raised from the dead. I believe that he is seen, that he is ruling and working and moving even to this day. And because that's true, I will orient my entire life around it. that that, that it will completely change the way that I see myself and the way that I see you and the way I see others, the way I see the world. It will change the way that, that I think and I act and I live and I process information. It will change everything. My life will revolve around the person of Jesus, around the work of Jesus, around his death and resurrection. Those are the only options. The one thing that we cannot do is say, I believe that's true, but I won't do anything with it. I believe it's true that Jesus is the son of God who died for my sins and he rose from the dead. But it's not going to change anything about me. See, that's a statement of saying, I may believe that's true intellectually. But my life shows that I don't buy it. See, the thing that, that Easter causes us to grapple with is who is Jesus? And what am I going to do with him? Who is he? And what am I going to do with him? And the beautiful thing is, man, if he is alive, and I believe that he is, and so do billions of other people, if he is alive, that means the invitation that he gave to the earliest believers is the same invitation that he gives to you and he gives to me, and that invitation is to simply come follow no matter who you are or where you're at on a faith journey, come follow Jesus. See, the beautiful thing about that invitation is that anyone can take a step in that direction. It doesn't matter if you're like a person of faith or consider yourself to be a Christian or not, or you're a skeptic or you don't know what you believe, you're still trying to take, figure things out. Everyone has a step to take towards Jesus. If you're already a follower of Jesus, you're already a Christian, don't ever think that there's a point where you stop following because once we do that, man, it is really easy to just fall into that, I believe this, but I'm not going to do anything with it. There's always a step to take in the way that we serve, the way that we give, the way we're involved in a church, the way we do life with other people, the way that we sacrifice, the private disciplines. There are all kinds of steps to take if you are already a follower of Jesus. If you're someone who's uh, uh, not a Christian yet and you're still skeptical, you're, really, you're like, I'm not ready to buy that hook, line, and sinker, there's even st- a step for you to take. I would say the step for you is to continue to investigate and to research and to ask your questions, for you to to show up, to come back, to tune back in, and and to to figure it out. You owe it to yourself to know, is there something to this Jesus guy? For you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, but you're thinking, I think this is actually true. I think there's something to this. I think Jesus really is who he claimed to be, that he died for my sins and he rose from the grave. Then for you, your next step is to embrace that. Scripture says it is this beautiful thing that it's so simple that anyone who, who, who uh, confesses with their mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. And so maybe that's you, maybe that's your next step. We've all got a next step to take towards following a risen Jesus. And so I wanna encourage you, no matter who you are, to head over to our website, hopecommunityonline.org. The link to that website is in the description of this video when you get there, in the bottom left, click on the Next Steps launcher, and from there, uh, you, you can explore Next Steps in a faith journey. You can reach out to us, and we would love to help you along that journey as well. The good news is that Jesus is alive. The thing that we celebrate, the reason that we are here, is because we proclaim that Jesus is alive. That two thousand years ago, He died. Yes, He died for my sins and the great in your sins, and the greatest act of love ever. But more than that, he defeated death and rose from the grave. And the world has never been the same.